0: Hello, and welcome to the Blind Shots Podcast. I'm your host, David Hill, coming to you from a back booth in Community Pies in downtown Chattanooga. Stop in and get a slice if you need one. And this is season four, episode 11. Golf art and golf imagery have come a long way in the past decade or two. Once the exclusive province of coffee table books, luxury travel publications, and the architecture issues of mainstream golf publications, Artistic depictions of golf's playing fields have been devolved to the people in the digital age. Any decent hacker with an Instagram account can curate his or her feed to feature amazing images of the best golf courses in the world with just a few flicks of the thumb. The famous golf holes of lore once locked away behind iron gates are now available for viewing from every angle of still life photography and probably available in drone form. This game has changed. So how does a boutique shop like Lion Loft stand out among an increasingly crowded field? Well, that's what I wanted to talk about with my guest, Luke Davis. He's Lion Loft's founder, and it turns out being a pretty wide-ranging discussion that begins with Luke's origin story in golf and ends at our mutual love and concern for public golf in America. Give this one a listen. It's a little bit different, but I think you'll enjoy it. A reminder that there are no corporate sponsors or paid endorsers for the Blind Shots podcast, though i'm open to a conversation about creating some official partners nonetheless i could bring you this soul nourishing content without requiring you to take illicit drugs because of my day job is david hill realtor with rector hayden realtors i help people sell and buy and find their new homes as well as helping investors and businesses with their commercial property needs here in central kentucky It certainly is an interesting time to be a realtor and it's a great time to be a buyer If you want to know what's happening in our market, you can email me at davidhill at rhr.com and we can get a conversation started. Now, I hope you'll enjoy my conversation with Luke. Do check out Lie and Loft's website at L-I-E-AN-D-L-O-F-T.com. That's lieandloft.com. I've got two other pieces in my office and I'll probably add to that collection soon. Okay, here we go. I'm a big fan of the work i've got two pieces um from line loft my, my again my favorite two places um you'll see the walls are kind of bare behind me this is great for listeners because they can see what we're we're doing um but I, i'm having to redo all my office because i've got a second for my birthday i got a second piece i got the mid pines map um so i guess tell me what came first were you a golfer or an artist? Like, how did, how did Lion Loft, what's the the short version of the origin story for the the business?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't even call myself an artist and feel like an imposter doing that. Um, Because I'm not studied or anything like that. But uh, I would say, I guess, golf. I mean, golf came first from a literal sense, when you look at the business and my relationship with golf. But in terms of like artistic expression and that whole side of things. Uh, my whole family, I feel like is an artist in different mediums, whether it's dance. My sister did a master's in dance at Ohio state and she still, um, does choreography and and modern dance. Um, my cousin is a really, really talented, um, potter or makes ceramics. Um, now runs her own women's boutique where she curates, you know, curates and um, does retail and and that sort of thing and musicians and all sorts of stuff. Just, you know, every kind of sense of the word art or, or being creative, I feel like it's just kind of. So you come by it honestly. Yeah, I guess. And then I've always loved pretty much anything with a ball, like my, first word was ball. Uh, And my dad, uh, he was in the Air Force. So we moved around a little bit while I was a kid. And it always seemed like there was an Air Force golf, uh, you know, a golf course on the base where he would play. And so uh, when I was, I was born in Columbia, South Carolina, played golf there, Uh, we moved to Spain when I was just after, I uh, turned one and there was a course there. And, um, he, he tells this story where I would like be waiting for him. Cause I, I think our home on the base was like on the golf course. And when he would come around, I'd be like standing up at the sliding glass window waiting for him. And I would come out on the tee box. And, uh, he told me one time, uh, one of the, the gentlemen in his group topped his drive and I got up there at like one, maybe like 16 months old or something and flushed one, like 50 yards <laughs> down, the, <laughs> down the hole and like past the guy that topped it. And, uh, so that was like a funny story relating to like, yeah, like golf has been a part of my life since I could walk. Um, however, uh, my parents divorced. I grew up with my mom in upstate New York. Um, and I ended up playing just about every other sport except for golf competitively. We just didn't golf just wasn't a thing in upstate New York. Um, so I played soccer, basketball, baseball. Uh, I played a year of football in high school as well, but soccer, basketball, baseball were the three main sports I played all the way up into college, even. So I um got recruited to play baseball, just D three was where I ended up and went to pitch. Um, freshman year going into preseason, uh, my shoulder was just basically shot by that point. Um, had to make the tough decision of hanging it up. And that's when I got a job <clears throat> that summer at a golf course in Syracuse. Didn't know what the heck I was going to do in my life. It's still at that point, like I had changed my major like three times going into college. Um, got a job just working on the grounds crew at a golf course and would, you know, the shift would be done by like two o'clock and I would just go out and play golf every single day.
0: Yeah. That uh, was, I, I had a similar origin. My first, I guess, college job. like coming home from first summer college, I had nothing to do and my dad wasn't going to let me lounge around the house all day. So yeah, that being at work at five 30 and done by two, man, that was, that was the lifestyle. That was very appealing for a, a broke college kid <laughs> play all the yeah. golf you wanted
1: one of the best jobs you, you could have you could ask for it, you know out on a golf course out in nature working with your hands and then you're done early and you got the rest of the day ahead of you i mean those 4 a.m alarm clocks really sucked but
0: <laughs> they did and some of the smells you know the pond work was was challenging and you were i was you know the low man on the crew so you always got the you know you're raking the raking bunkers by hand and and pumping you know? out you know all the grunt work but changing irrigation heads
1: cleaning cleaning the mowers man that was a smell that i hated i hated the smell of like rank grass you know (laughs) I like freshly cut grass smell but the smell of like caked on like wet
0: wet moldy yeah yeah that's (laughs)
1: That's... uh it takes me right back to it
0: you know go for my
1: my dad and i we shared golf like when so like I said, they were, uh, my parents split. So like when I would go and visit him in the summers or he would come and visit me, that was like what we shared together. So that was, I would play a couple of times a year up until I was 18 and had this job and that's when it flipped and I was all in on golf.
0: Um, you know I, I was a similar story when I, my baseball, you can see my shoulders don't hang level. I've thrown my arm out a couple of times, um, So yeah, once my baseball career ended, when they handed me my high school diploma, I needed something to do and golf just kind of, it it happened there, you know, to go from something as ugly as moldy grass on the underside of a bat wing (laughs) to, you know, line loft, you have, you produce one of the things that you make are these beautiful, and I don't know how to describe them. They're, they're golf course maps, but they're kind of extractions because it's this beautiful, clean, stark, you know, presentation of the golf course routing against the ones I've got anyway, you know, against a white canvas uh, about against a blank space. And it really just kind of pops. How did, how did that kind of become something that you could produce and, and build a, a business and a passion off of, or, or how did it, was that a, was it a journey to get there or was that the idea to start with?
1: Uh, it was a long journey to get there. <clears throat> um, I ended up taking a year off from, uh, after freshman year, after that summer job I talked about. And that's when I learned about the professional golf management program through the PGA, mm-hmm. um, the golf professional at this course, was, he's seeing me every day out playing golf and he's like, all right, this isn't just another like grounds crew kid or whatnot. Um, so he pulled me aside, told me about the program <clears throat> and, i moved in with my dad actually in ohio um, after that summer and took a you know a year off to figure out what i wanted to do where i wanted to go um i ended up working at a golf course in ohio doing outside operations and working in the pro shop while preparing to apply to pgm programs so um i ended up <clears throat> applying to uh, NC state, Florida state, and Arizona state. And I was also looking at Clemson. Um, you mean Eastern Kentucky didn't get a look? Come on. Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> I wanted that D one experience after going to a D three school, I really wanted a sports team to really root for, you know, <laughs> I,
0: understand. I, don't know.
1: I, just, I wanted that D one, that big college after being at a D three, 3000 students where, you right. know, everyone and I come from a small town, so I just say, I want to go to a city and, and I don't know much about EKU besides the program, but so I, I apologize if, if I'm, I'm teasing, not-
0: I'm, I'm just <laughs> listeners know a uh, friend, we've got a friend of the program that works at the Kentucky KGA and I've had him on to talk about the, the PGM program. And he came from Denver, like he landed here and he looked at a lot of the schools you're talking about in the Carolinas and on the East Coast. And I just tease because it's (laughs) 30 minutes from here and I got to stand up for the little guy every once in a while.
1: Yeah, I don't blame you at all. Um, Definitely knew some people that went there Um, and the PGM, you know, after being in it, you meet so many people from all the different PGM universities. Um, It would be cool to go around and kind of visit each university but that's a different topic anyways. Um yeah, I ended up like settling on NC State for a few reasons. <clears throat> um my grandparents had built a house on Ocracoke like way back in the day, like a little beach shack. So we'd always go down to Ocracoke in the Outer Banks as a kid. Uh I had family that lived there, lived on the island. Um and then they had since moved to Chapel Hill, Carborough area. Um, so I was like, you know what? NC state, kind of makes sense. Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, so yeah, I ended up transferring and doing the professional golf management program there. I was fully set on being a golf professional and working at a golf course and took that very seriously. Um, I did my internships at some really cool places. So with the PGM program, it's about a four and a half year degree, um, where you take a normal curriculum, um, each university has a different program or college that the PGM curriculum is through, um, whether it's business administration or in our case, it was the college of natural resources, parks, recreation, and tourism at NC state. So you're doing a bachelor of science
0: in that. Plus all the curriculum for the PGA. What at that point? Where did you see yourself? Were you a club <clears throat> pro? Were you going to be a teacher? What did I you? I want to
1: be. Uh, I always loved the business side more than the teaching side. But with that, I will say I enjoyed teaching. I really enjoyed doing junior clinics, um, and I enjoyed teaching beginners. I never quite felt like I had the acumen to teach like. Um, the
0: really, really good
1: player, per se. Um, uh,
0: they're all faking it till they make it anyway. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, but no, I was always drawn. I've always been drawn to like entrepreneurship and business and numbers and and with creativity as a part of that. So I saw myself being the next Bob Ford, you know, like trying to find that top 100 job and not really knowing what the industry is like. Um, but by the end of, of the program, I was a little bit burnt out. Um, I did my internships at upper Montclair country club in New Jersey, TPC sawgrass down in Florida and Westchester country club was my last one up in, uh, the Met section. So pretty those, like,
0: those are some pretty nice zip codes to have to work in. Yeah. And it,
1: it, <laughs> It's uh, it was a lot of pressure too. Like you're serving, like the New York Giants owner as a member, and you know, like you're just you're catering to people that I've never rubbed elbows with people of this uh, status before. Like you know, TBC Sawgrass people are going through their pain, a you know, pretty high greens fee, and expecting experience. So it was it was hard work and something that you know took very seriously. And there was no days off really. Like and I I think that was what. Ultimately it was like, okay, I love golf so much. I know I want to be around golf in some way. I don't know if the club pro route is actually what I want after putting five years of my time into it um, and working weekends and working three weeks straight with like one day off, you know, like just crazy schedules and not playing golf really, you know, it's just like, it's a tough life Uh, and hats off to everyone from like the PGM programs and prior that stick it out and are devoted to the green grass side. It's, uh, it's a special person and they don't PGA professionals don't get enough credit for what they do at a golf course. Um, but yeah, I, I guess, so that's like the whole backstory. on like, why I'm so passionate about golf and why I wanted to be in the industry and around it, but not, didn't really know where that place was
0: at the time. You know the the actual, I guess. So to go from there to being involved, but not not in the pro shop. Mm-hmm. Did you have? You mentioned that you have you come from an artistic fam, a family that is blessed with some artistic skill and creative juices. um The the Lionloft products are they? Is it handwork? Is it? Did you? do a crash course in graphic design. How did the, I mean, that's a, to go from you say, you know, you were into the numbers and the business side and entrepreneurship to all of a sudden creating, you know, a creative expression and creating kind of a work product. How did that transformation happen?
1: Yeah. um, I mean, I've always just loved learning new things and um like even within the golf pro side and internships, I was, I, I got my, um, personal training certification. So I was doing golf fitness and like creating packages of, you know, i just always doing something new and learning something new. So the graphic design side and like the, um, gar- golf artwork side really started around like 2013, 2014. So like four years after I graduated from the program. Um, I ended up, after I graduated, went into software sales, technology sales here in Raleigh. It was the easiest way to get a nine to five in a growing market. Um, you know, it's it's yeah. the research triangle technology here and jobs and technology field are pretty endless. Um, and I had a lot of friends that were in that space. So I ended up doing that for four to five years and it was Awesome in the sense that I was able to reconnect to golf from a consumer standpoint. I played more golf than I'd ever played in my life. Um, I ended up joining a club. I joined Old Chatham, a really cool course in the area. <clears throat> and at that point, it was like, okay, I'm going down this path of being a software sales professional. Uh, I ended up um, being the first hire, sales hire at um, a startup that ended up doing really well um, and kind of got to the pinnacle of where I would have seen myself in that field at a very young age and got burned out again. I was, it was like the same thing. I was like, okay. uh, You looked around and
0: said, is this it? Yeah. Like,
1: do I want to be sitting at a desk now for the rest of my life? Like, no, I don't. So that's around that time. It was like, golf Instagram I guess was like starting to kind of take off and then you're being um I guess exposed to like all these other people out there that you get to see and you start to realize like okay golf isn't just what I know it as or like the stigmas surrounding it um there's just like there's a wide spectrum and there's a lot of different ways to enjoy it and and then also just like visuals in general with Instagram and and that sort of thing. Like I just became fascinated with design and photography and sharing that and then getting connected with other people who play golf that might not fall under the traditional purist type of mentality per se, which, you know, I, um, still associate myself with some of that as well. But, um, that's when I was like, okay, I want to start my own business. I want to do something in golf. And I like, what are all the things that I enjoy? And it was also kind of a culmination of getting my first place and trying to find artwork to hang on the walls. And so doing a search of like, I wanted course maps of the places I had worked. So I was like, okay, TBC Sawgrass course map. And like, there was really nothing out there at all like if you go to pinterest and search golf artwork or like start to do some inspo yourself it's going to be very different than if you search like surf artwork or like um just artwork in general it's just it's like etsy looking or antique looking or it's just like very specific and it didn't really it wasn't there's was nothing out there
0: yeah it was it, it it's interesting that that's a point i wanted to talk through with you cuz it's it was coffee table books like you could get the big thick you know, two foot by one foot coffee table thing, maybe. or
1: golf courses in the world. Right.
0: Top 100 golf courses in the world. Whereas you could go into a baseball card shop and get posterized versions of beautiful photographs and art, you know, for 150 years. You know, the, the history of that game is so well documented. You know, the golf memorabilia business, and you mentioned Instagram, which I think is important because that's, you know, the visual medium. Could you do what you have done twenty years ago? You know, you kind of got your start. Sounds like about ten years ago, but just that—that that kind of devolution, the the distribution of images and faraway places that aren't that coffee, that big heavy coffee table book at your granddad's place of the top one hundred courses or the Donald Ross book or something that you're not even allowed. It's in the it's in the formal living room where the kids aren't allowed to play. You know, that, that's it's not in the den where you could go mess around as a grandkid. Um I, I think that has been, you know, for me as a consumer in learning about new places, all podcasts aside, but and kind of Internet searches aside, just to be able to these things, these courses I've heard about. I hear them. People talk about on TV to be able to see that imagery. um Has just been you know, I don't remember what it was like before. Honestly, Mm -hmm. don't. Um, And I guess the other thing I I would bring into that is, you know, you mentioned Pinterest and Etsy. We live in the digital age, like I'm the last of the Gen Xers. I was born in 79. I, you know, I got my first email address in high school, like senior year of high school. But we also live in the age of craft, like craftsmanship. And it's been across industries, you know, this golf, Look at golf architecture. We've gone through the kind of the Pete Dye family tree, Bill Core, Tom Doak, the design, build, craft model. It's in beer, you know, how many craft beers. And here it's distilleries, even our, we're 20 years behind in Kentucky on everything, but even we've gotten into that game with craft distilleries and things like that. It just seems like you've you've had your idea at a really like the right time. And I'm just kind of like, just kind of interested in how you thought through that process and what you saw. It's interesting that the, the Instagram yeah. part of it.
1: Yeah. Again, it was just, it was a personal need. And then after doing research, it was just like, Oh, there's an opportunity here too. And also like, how cool to be to be able to connect golf and the feeling of home. And that's when like the whole brand idea for it just started to like, it all just clicked together. And even down to like, Finding the name and the company name, it happened immediately. It was like so fast. And as soon as it popped in my head, I was like, shit, I got to go buy the domain, register all the handles. Like, this is it. Like, it was, it was just like got goosebumps and get goosebumps thinking about it now. But <clears throat> I, will, I will say, Instagram helped accelerate and definitely helped build our consumer brand. However, I was. We, I still feel strongly that we would be able to do it. Um, it would just be a little slower because um, at the time of me starting it, I ended up leaving my, uh, the tech world and that world. And I ended up, while starting Lion Loft, um, I started as an independent sales rep selling for some golf brands that I was that I'm really passionate about. Um, and I covered like eight States, including Kentucky, um, for linksol for Jones golf bags, for shame mm-hmm. and new era. And so I was on the road five days a week, uh, with all my samples in my car for a year and a half, I was selling and basically living out of my car, selling to golf courses across the mid Atlantic. And so I will say like wholesale and B2B is where the business started i was meeting with buyers meeting with golf pros and going through that distribution model while sharing and storytelling and like slowly building out a consumer brand i mean it it took 4 years to even get to a point where i could like you know hire more than one person to help like it was the consumer brand took a long time to get like, it took like a year and a half, I feel like to get our first online order. And I was like, yes, we got an (laughs) online order. But you know, for the past year, I'd been working with Pinehurst and, you know, all these courses in the mid Atlantic on tournament gifts and retail items and things like that. So it was kind of a two headed, or, you know, there's two avenues that we were kind of working on in parallel. You
0: know, and that's, that's great, because there's everybody's got a golf umbrella and everybody's got a hat or a coffee mug. So that's a, yeah, definitely a niche to be filled uh, with something different and something so striking as, you know, just a simple map. It, it's um, I, I love them. Tell me a little bit about, so you started in the mid Atlantic. How did your, you've got a pretty extensive catalog of offerings at this point and not just maps. You have all sorts of a product and merchandise sort of, Think about this before you answer. You also take custom requests, or at least you advertise it on the website of if something's not in your catalog, you're open. Have there been any, I guess, of those that have made you say that have been really memorable? Like, what are we doing here? Who, How do they, you know, this course really, or something that you, maybe a hidden gem that you found out there, just kind of researching what might be next?
1: Hmm there's been some really cool partnerships i mean like even i go back to pinehurst they were one of our first customers and just like to have that happen it was just like holy cow this is pretty cool yeah and uh they were like so supportive so supportive and yeah so that's been like working with them over the years has been great um you know they've been customers since like 2016 um Bannon dunes is a really special place to me i've been out there probably 10 times now and we've got i just was out there in january <clears throat> um we did an installation for their round lake cottages um and we just did a project for their chrome lake cottages so stuff like that where it's like wow not only like it's one thing to see it like selling in the shop or like but to like see it in a lodging um installation at that scale where every single day someone new is interacting with those pieces is that that's pretty cool to think about like that being in that sort of place i mean we've probably worked with over 500 courses by now so it's wow. really hard to like f- think about individual man there's just so many cool people we've worked with and so many different projects um trendy forest would be another one. There's a huge install in their restaurant and bar that I still have not seen in person, um, where we did a six foot by eight foot, I believe it was course map wow. with all the individual holes gridded out on either side. Um, where we're working with a interior designer. Um, have you hit I mean,
0: all 50 States yet?
1: Um, yeah, nice. Uh, yeah. I mean, we have have to. and then internationally too, that's that's where I was going too is that the crazy part is like getting someone like Glen Eagles reaching out or Sunningdale reaching out or people in Australia or India or you know all Denmark, Canada, we've got a lot of customers. Um, just like these courses all over the world that find out about us is pretty special. Um, so that's kind of a exciting part of the future for us is just continuing to grow to other markets and meet and service
0: new courses and clubs. Um, it's, it's pretty cool. Have you gotten to visit most of the courses you work on that? You know, I don't know what your process is, if it's uh, if it's just aerial photography and, you know, that you find it or if there's a, a visit and kind of a 3D uh, aspect to it. Can you talk a little bit about just kind of how the, the maps come to be?
1: Yeah. Luckily for us, well, we don't have to be there in person. Um, so that allows us to scale obviously. Um, however, I love to do the in-person meeting people, um, getting to see the course. Those are the, the special ones where you actually feel the place and, um, get to meet the people behind it. Um, so yeah, we're able to work off of imagery, um, and do things remote. Um, unless we're doing photography for a golf course, obviously, because that's something I do also. Um, that would be like the the Holy grail is like if we have a photography project and we're out there shooting drone and photos, and then we're also helping with the artwork side. Um, you know, and we also do artwork for like their scorecards and there's just like a very holistic way that we can help golf courses with their visual identity and artwork and design that they offer. How so, big
0: a, oh, I'm sorry.
1: I was just gonna say to kind of conclude on that. It's like if we could visit every single one, we'd love to, but it's just not feasible, um, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, that that would be the Artist Full Employment Act of of 2025, I imagine. When, um, is,
1: tele- when is teleporting going to be
0: <laughs> right? Solved, you know, <laughs> how big within the visual medium? How big of a game changer have drones been? I mean, it seems like the entire Golf visual, with a few exceptions, but it seems like that just so dominates the photography market right now. Is that just me being kind of a silly consumer and and just being siloed into what I see? No. Now
1: drones have is one of the most revolutionary pieces of technology to disrupt multiple industries. And, I mean, it's it's crazy. Like. Think about even like real estate photography or like how photography was done 10 years ago. Um, You'd have to get a helicopter or a pilot to take you up in the air to then shoot.
0: I live in farm country. I mean, horse farms are big business here. And that used to be, I mean, that used to be a days, if not weeks long project to try to capture that. And now with with an FAA license and a a couple hundred dollar drone, you can see a huge property.
1: I will say it's, it's, it is uh, a little saturated now. Like everyone and their mother can buy a drone and throw it up and take photos, which I highly encourage, like doing it the right way, getting your FAA license, um, an insurance and being a registered pilot. Um, um, but to go back to your point, just like the, uh, perspective of seeing something from a top-down view now scalable um and it's 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 just incredible like these are images that you would never see and perspectives you would never see of places like from an accessible level it's not only the if you have a budget to throw up a helicopter and have a photographer sitting in there taking photos like now it's accessible for anyone and everyone it's pretty cool um to get, to get a different perspective from the sky. And I think I've always been drawn to that too. Cause you know, my dad's a pilot. I've always been fascinated with aviation. Um, so just that, like, and I like birds. Like I've always one of my biggest wishes and like reoccurring dreams I have is that I could can, can fly, you know? So it's like to be able to throw a camera up in the air and, you know, get to, visually capture and share that is pretty cool
0: that's that's very interesting yeah the um because it used to be really i mean you saw you saw golf courses from ground level 35 millimeter you know or maybe on video <laughs> for for the broadcasts.
1: maybe um, someone standing on a ladder right you, yeah, know? But, uh, <laughs> it,
0: you know the the big the big guys could have a boom up there for his tournament uh golf or like the google maps imagery and that was it this, there was no in between and that, you know, everybody, the joke is that um, in the architecture community, everybody built for that one golden hour, long shadows against the ground contour shot. That was, everybody had to build at least one of those holes to get your project built. But now I feel like there's almost a, almost a democratization of it because you can see it, not just that one hole, you can see the rest of the golf course and whether it kind of lives up. It's not I feel like that benefits consumers because you've got so much, so many more golf holes and golf courses built that aren't necessarily built to that standard, that, that magazine cover, you know, trying to get that magazine cover standard, which there's a place for that. Um, but I don't know that that does a whole lot for the average golfer on a re- repetitive basis. Sure. Golf trips, special places. Um, but yeah, that the drones have kind of brought, um, and at the same time it's been used i think interestingly to take people to places they would never see you know there's for the golf nerds like me the um I can't remember if it was golf or golf digest did the tour of national golf links did a, basically a drone flight of that whole property i'd never get to see that i'm mm-hmm. that's talk about people that i don't rub elbows with uh, that you didn't rub elbows with i'm probably not going to get an invite there to but, but if i wanted to to be able to kind of capture that yeah. um just really cool yeah
1: pine valley is another one that that yes. is really cool to see that um and then even like uh, uh like i don't know if you saw um was it the sony no it was a kapalua that drone shot that they were doing on like yeah. 17 15, where it's following the ball down the fairway like something just those types of visuals are really cool um and starting to add to the sitting on your couch consuming a golf tournament that that viewing experience is just getting more and more um dynamic so
0: it's better and better you mentioned aviation and flight where where else do you draw your inspiration from you know i'm i'm friendly with a couple of golf course architects and it seems to me they there are two schools of thought they're either very much an artist and they don't you know, outside of work, they're looking for inspiration, other places, music, painting, sculpture, something, some other medium, or they are so deep into the golf. That's all they can see 24 hours a day. So I'm just curious where you'd kind of place yourself on that spectrum.
1: Yeah. Um, man, I love music. I love, um, I love type and fonts and signs like small towns. I can gain so much inspiration by driving through a small town. Like one of my favorite things about Bandon is driving to Bandon Dunes, Cause you get to drive through all of these old timber towns and, um, get to see just like, <clears throat> or uh, like earlier this year, I went out to field of dreams in Iowa and going out there. It's just like, I'm just head on a swivel, just looking at, you know, you're not seeing Starbucks and McDonald's and blah, blah, blah. It's like all of this, someone has touched and done. Like, I love, uh, stuff done by hand. I love, um, yeah, basically the world around me. I, I, I am constantly just soaking it in. Like I'm a very introverted person. Um, pretty stoic. One would describe me if you're a stranger. Um, and it's not because i i don't know it's just because i'm always thinking about something or like i like airports i love sitting in airports and just like
0: Uh, sitting people watching
1: yeah so i think for me it's just like being observant of the world around me i love sports i love the outdoors um yeah um golf is like definitely something i'm really really into but it's not all consuming for me you know I've, it's a healthy balance but i will say with that i really love the his. I, I love history like i love <clears throat> diving into the origin of something or like why something came to be or um trying to understand how we've gotten somewhere from the past so for me with golf like i've really dove into hickory golf in the past couple of years um and learning more about club repair and the makers from 100 plus years ago where the technology was actually pretty damn good like they knew what they were doing the good makers knew what they were doing a lot of the technology kind of comes from the golf ball um so it's just stuff like that just uh yeah studying history and just being observant of the world around me and not taking golf not like every single second of every single day like being into golf but yeah having a wide range of
0: pursuits and passions we are lucky that you we live in a time where all of that information has gotten much more accessible as well you know the i didn't grow up in golf i like i said i picked up golf during the tiger woods boom because my baseball career was over so you know i can quote you stats from willie mays and mickey mantle and babe ruth but i can't do that for gene sarazen or bobby jones so uh, you know having but I could, I can go find it now in, you know, in the digital form where I know where to go look, you know, the, the Tufts museum down there, not too far from where you are. Mm Um, you know, the societies, I guess there's you know, every architect has a, you know, the major golf architects of the classic era have followings or fan clubs and societies that study. And, um, it's interesting. You can, You can satisfy that curiosity in a lot of different avenues now with a whole lot less effort than (laughs) than I think it used to take. Um, I haven't pulled a microfish in 15 years. I'm very proud of that. Um, I get you out of here on a couple of of things. One, I love the cards. I've had, I received two pieces from Line Loft as a gift, and it made me laugh because each one, you know, it was a nice signed um, greeting. But one was ordered by my mom, and one was ordered by my wife. So they were just tickled that they had these personalized these cards I, from your consumer side. Now this may be trade secret, and you can demur if you like. But your mix of clientele, because you create a product that it doesn't just go in man caves. You know, this isn't just going above the bar in the basement. You know, these are are really stylish pieces and, and works of art that can fit in multiple places. From your consumer side, what percentage of your business would, if you had to guess, was maybe men versus women?
1: Um, it's probably sixty-five percent men, thirty-five percent women, which I'm pretty proud of. Like, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. Think. <clears throat> um, I've always like the meaning behind the brand has always been connecting golf and home, but not. Just from the literal sense of the product, it's always been about fostering a welcoming, inclusive feeling around golf. Like that is one of the biggest things I hate about the history of golf is the stigmas surrounding it and the male, you know, just like in regular society, just kind of the male dynamic. Um, So to make golf feel welcoming for everyone. I know by now it's super cliche and everyone's kind of, which is great. Everyone is kind of promoting that. Um, yeah, it's one thing,
0: it's one thing to say it and promote it. And it's another thing to actually do it. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I think it comes through in our content comes through in our storytelling. Um, we've got three females on staff and three males on staff and,
0: um, well, in yeah. your connection with you know that you started at Pinehurst and you know in the Sandhills of North Carolina, which is you talk about you know the the family that down the street from Pinehurst, the the Peggy Kirk Bell and that family, what they you know as progressive as anybody in golf and promoting diversity and equality and you know carving out a place for someone other than just the old white guy um, in golf. So that's I think that's a connection you should be proud of.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So to answer your question, we have a super diverse group of customers. Um, We're not any one segment that we're catering to. It's really like golf is home for everyone. And we want to kind of share different things that can be, um, that people can connect to and relate to no matter like what walk of life you are, what skill level you are, how long you've been playing, we want to make golf feel like a welcoming place. But,
0: so, uh, that's an admirable goal, and I think you're doing it well. I'll obviously plug the the website and have links uh, in the show notes, the ubiquitous show notes for the podcast. Um, I'll get you out of here on this, this is my standard uh, conclusion question. I'm not going to make you pick a favorite, but you can if you want as far as favorite project or round of golf. What I'm interested to know is what's either you can answer both or or one. Um, what is the, the round of golf, the place that you played or the project that you've, you've worked on that you wish you got another crack at? Like, I know that, you know, some of my trophy rounds, I can pinpoint and say, man, I wish I'd wish I'd had a better day or man, I, I can't wait to maybe go there again. If I ever get the chance, um, just to, to do it, just to do it again, maybe do it differently. Do you have something, do you have a, a round of golf or an adventure that you would, you would take a redo on.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's, so not like quite to that. um, It's a little bit abstract to that. And it was outside of my control or our control, but I'd expect uh, nothing less. (laughs) We, we do these golf events, golf experiences where we camp out on a golf course. Um, We've done a tobacco road for many years.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I'm on the range. We had a event ready to go for the USAM at Bandon Dunes where we'd have a camp out for the 500 or so volunteers and anyone else who wanted to come camp where we're playing golf and working the event. And it would have been, you know, kind of along the lines with the open where they have the camping village where we have a big camping village and create this huge experience around that. And, uh, it's something that like still keeps me up at night, COVID hit and canceled spectators and volunteers and like the ability to do that. And then once COVID happened, now golf courses don't have any problems filling up tee sheets. They're less likely to say, yeah, you can come, uh, be, have our course fully booked out for two days. Yeah, Sure. So like, we had this big plan of scaling this event concept, and now we're kind of back to the drawing board with it where like, if COVID hadn't happened and this event, with the USM would have happened, it would have been off to the races with, with, the, uh, with that specific event and like doing this at scale. And so it's something we're conti- like, we're going to have an, uh one, this may at a new venue that we're super pumped about, and we're going to keep doing events. It's just become a little bit harder to execute. Um, but like those types of things we really like doing, cause we're able to meet people in person and kind of sh- provide a tangible to the brand of this is who we are. This is who you are. We all love golf and nature. Like let's hang out for a couple of days and play. So that that's like a fun part of what we do that we want to keep doing more of.
0: What a cool concept. I love the ones I, I, I watched the ones down at tobacco road. Um, that's again, my favorite place on earth. I'd go down there. And I was the, I was there on the backside of one of the solstice events um, a couple of years ago. And they had a, I don't know if they did a camp out, but they have that big two day tournament, their events. They, it seems like they do a nice job with those and they're remote enough that you can kind of get away with like what you're talking about, the camping out on the range. I know sweetens tries to do some camp out stuff like that, but that's a, I, I won't, accuse you of being in the shrink the game camp so that you can you know get all these idiots off the golf course and run that but that's a yeah talk about There's what it problem
1: be. it's not shrinking the game the problem is we're shrinking the number of facilities so that's what's next for us too i've been working on saving a muni well we've been trying to get a golf course now for four years and we've been through the ringer multiple times on multiple courses and we're in the process right now with saving immunity. Um, we're at the finish line almost. So that's kind of what's next for us is like, how do we keep doing our part in growing the game, but more so like on the preservation side of facilities that really matter. The ecosystem of golf is going to struggle if we keep closing down golf courses that are accessible for
0: building real estate and putting up houses. And it's only getting tougher. You know what national links trust has done has been amazing, but Mm -hmm. not every, you know, and what the public golf, I'm a gypsy. Okay. I play public golf. That's what I've come up in. That's what my kids play. That's a, a passion for mine as the, as municipal budgets, like they've got a lot of COVID relief act money right now. And so some of them are investing, but it's, they only it seems like the improvements only bounce from that one time money to one time money. They are the ugly stepchildren of every state park, county, and city municipal system. And the not every place can do what Atlanta, you know, the Bobby Jones course now in Atlanta is a remarkable story. That the public-private partnership model that they used at East Lake, they were able to kind of take over to the other side of town and do it and rebuild that. I'd played the prior version. That was an awful golf course. So I'm excited to see the nine hole they built, but not everybody's not every town. I don't think has the resources to kind of pull that off. I mean, that was a 14 to $25 million project, depending on who you ask. Um, So it's
1: a little bit exorbitant, but right. Like, and that's hard because then the other munis are seeing those projects as use cases and like, shit, we got to raise that. Like, that's how expensive it is to run a golf course. Like, we don't need to fund and subsidize a golf course. They're like,
0: right. And not everybody's got Ben Crenshaw to save, you know, like in Austin, I love what they're doing with save Muni down there, but not everybody's got a, um, a celebrity or the, you know, the something that can draw the attention like these, I, I love, I just worry that kind of what the, some of these organizations have done. I don't know that we found a way to make it scalable yet exactly but, but i haven't given up
1: there and the awareness is there and hopefully more and more of these use cases start happening and are shared you know i'll I keep don't. you posted on this one we're working on this please do
0: Hey, thanks for stopping by for this episode of the Blind Shots Podcast. You know, I would not met or talked with Luke before recording our conversation. I was just a fan of his and his shop's work. But I'm glad he agreed to come on. He's much more kindred spirit who happens to produce wonderful golf theme art than just an artist with a talent for landscapes. Once again, if you enjoyed our conversation and you're curious and want to see what it was all about, please visit his website at lionloft.com to check out all of their lines of work while you're bopping around on the interwebs also pop over to the blog at onebeardedgolfer.com there are a couple of new pieces up that i think you might find interesting or mildly entertaining i'm trying to write more this year and after a slow start and a few false starts i think i've got a handle on it moving forward so be sure to check that out from time to time i hope you enjoyed what you heard here today if you didn't like what you heard i'm sorry i will try to do better next time Damn the whistle pig and his shadow, but even though it's going to be cold for another few months, just a reminder, it's important to remember to hydrate and to sit up straight. And as always, when you have the choice, do decide to go for it and take dead aim. My name is David Hill, I'm a 6 handicap, I've been playing golf for 26 years, and I've never played a true foursomes alternate shot match.